please grab your Bible, whether it's one that's provided in the pews or one that you brought along to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Probably about four years ago, um, I probably did one of my more challenging uh, sermons, and that was through the book of Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, there was a whole chapter or two of just names of people that were uh, in captivity and that were being brought from captivity back to build the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, somehow we discovered that even in names, God placing names in, in Scripture is, we find the gospel there. We find the good news somewhere in there. And this morning, as we start our Advent season, we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And what do we find here? The heading says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. So hear the word of Christ as found in Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jehoiakim. And the the brothers. And at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, the father of Sheltiel. And Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abuda. And Abiudah. That guy, and Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eluid, and Eluid, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we dive into this. Father God, you have given us your holy, inspired, inerrant word that will never fail us. 
It is a gift from you. And in it, you reveal your will, your desire, and your plan for salvation. In it, we find Christ. So Lord, this morning, would you open our ears and our eyes and our heart to see Christ in a technicolor way, in a way that we have have never seen Him before. Would you make Christ more real to us? And Lord, I need your help this morning. You have entrusted to me the ministry of the Word, and Lord, I am relying on you. So Lord, use this time, Lord, for your glory and our edification. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So, of all the ways to start a book, Matthew chooses a genealogy. Of all the ways you start a book, this is not what I would say um, professionals would say, hey, great way to start a book is just start off with a list of names. That'll hook them right away. That'll catch them right away with a, a list of names. You know, if, you, if you'd sit down at a Christmas uh, time or Thanksgiving time, the best way to greet people and hook them into your family time is not sitting down and say, hey, let, let me just walk you through my family tree. I'm not going to give you any stories, but I'm going to just give you names. This guy was the father of this guy, and this guy is the father of this guy. Oh, by the way, his wife was this woman, and this guy was the father of this guy. Oh, and they were in Babylon doing this time, but you don't need to really know much about it. Somehow, for some reason, it starts off with the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as I look at this, I go, come on, there's got to be a better way to start it. Here's how some people would start a book. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit, starts off this way. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Ten words. You're hooked. You're going, a hobbit? What's a hobbit? And he's living in a hole in the ground? Tell me more. Or there's another famous book that begins with the author's daring escape from a brutal prison on Devil's Island. Right there, you're in the middle of the action, and you can't wait to see what's going to happen next. He's escaping from prison off of Devil's Island? There's got to be more. I can't wait to hear so, so why does St. Matthew begin the, the Christmas story with the genealogy? I bet many of you would love to just skip over verses 1 through 17, jump right to 18, where it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. And we move into that part where it's going, yeah, I can't wait till we sing away in a manger. And it happened this way. But that would be a mistake. The beginning of the Christmas story in Matthew has some critical, important lessons for all of us. Three of them, actually. And here they are, and I'm going to walk you through each one. Here's the first one. The birth of Jesus is a new beginning. The birth of Jesus is a new beginning. The second point is going to be the birth of Jesus is a fulfillment of all of God's promises. And the third is the birth of Jesus includes all of us. If you didn't get those last two points, don't worry. They'll pop up here later. But the first is a genealogy. 
The birth of Jesus is a new beginning. Matthew is a skilled author here. And he knows exactly what he's doing because in verse 1, he starts off by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to read that and we're supposed to think somehow this sounds familiar. If you're a biblical scholar, you go, I've heard that somewhere before. In the Greek, many of you aren't Greek scholars, right? In the Greek, the first two words are biblios genesos, which we translate the book of genealogy. But they're also, it's also known as the title, the Greek title for the book of Genesis. It's the Greek title for the book of Genesis, the first book that we have. So Genesis is the Old Testament book that refers back to the creation and the beginning of all things. The beginning of all things. So Matthew plants these words here because he wants us to do a double take. So what does this mean? Matthew wants us to begin reading reading this book with a sense of deja vu. Like, I've been here before. He wants us to all look... uh, Way back, look at the beginning, and we, he wants us to see his book with the beginning of Jesus Christ with, as a fresh start, as, as a new beginning. Something new is going to happen here. Have you ever wished that you could just hit pause, the pause button on your life and rewind and go all the way back to the beginning? And have a fresh start, a new beginning, and do things brand new? Have you ever wished you could just have a do-over in your life? And if you're saying no, you're lying. Because the reality is all of us at some point in our lives said, I wish that I could go back and start fresh, brand new, brand spanking new, a clean slate, and start it all over again. And Matthew is saying in this verse that in this world, there are two beginnings. Two beginnings. The first one took place a long time ago in Genesis chapter 1 when when God created the heavens and the earth and everything was absolutely good. It was perfect. It was beautiful. God was walking with mankind in the garden. And there was intimacy and there was beauty and there was perfection. But as you know, in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. And there was nothing but trouble from Genesis 4 through 11 and beyond. We all have this desire that we could just pause history and go back to to Genesis 3 and just kind of say, man, if we could just undo all the damages in the world. If, If we could go back to Genesis 3, my family life would not be in this dysfunctional place that it is. If I could go back to Genesis 3, there would not be sickness There would not be death. There would not be sorrow. There would not be pain. If I could just go back and fix that, it would solve this piece. And that's where the good news is, Matthew says. That is exactly what the birth of Jesus does. It is a brand new beginning. In Matthew chapter 1, the world begins anew. It starts all fresh, and we get, we get to start it all over again. We had creation, now we have Jesus. We are a new creation, right? 
the original sin, which was which has damaged and flawed and broken, is now being restored and transformed in the person of Jesus Christ. That's really the good news that Matthew is, is sharing with us right here. The birth of Jesus is a new beginning. And that means a slate is going to be wiped clean. And so for all of us who are longing for a new start again, who are just longing for a fresh start, who are longing for everything in this world to be put right again, the birth of Jesus Christ makes it possible. I don't know what has happened in your life. I don't know what your story has in it. But I'm willing to bet if we dust off that top pretty layer that you have, Underneath it, we're going to find pain, disappointment, identity issues, apathy, family of dysfunction, sickness, death, disease. The birth of Christ marks a new creation. Todd read it earlier, but 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You can also see in Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on, seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So the birth of Jesus is a beginning for all of us. It's a beginning for all of us. And it's not only just for all of us. It's for the whole world. Second point. The birth of, of Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So picture this. You get an envelope in the mail. You open it up. And in that envelope, you find a single piece of paper printed on some really fancy paper that apparently had to be purchased at a home uh, or a, either a really fancy paper place or at an office depot. You know this is not just regular paper. And on it is somebody's name, their contact information, followed by headings that say employment history, education, references. What do you have in your hand? You have a, a resume. It's what we write when we are trying to give a potential employer some basic information about ourselves, right? And picture someone 2,000 years ago getting the same piece of paper. They would probably look at it very strangely as they tried to figure out, what in the world is this all about? Well, that's what's really happening here with this genealogy. Matthew's readers would have been very familiar with this form of writing. They would have understood its purpose. This genealogy is trying to communicate something about somebody. They would have been captivated. Captivated by what Matthew had written. How many of you would say, I am just captivated by Matthew 1? Uh, 1 through uh, 17. Man, I, this, this is riveting stuff. There's part of you that's going like, give me the real stuff. But Matthew's readers would have read this and they would have been captivated. They would have been reading it all because in the ancient world, 
genealogies did a couple different things. One, they grounded you in history. When I was in Rome a number of years ago, I, I toured uh, through uh, a number of different historical sites. And one of the most impressive sites was the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum. And I've read about it as a kid. I've taught part of the history as a teacher about the Roman Colosseum. But when you stand there and you see this, how massive this was, and all of a sudden all the stories become real and in technicolor because you are there, it all of a sudden, something clicks. You realize that it happened here where my feet are planted all this history took place here and that's what Matthew is doing when he is giving us a genealogy he is saying that the story of Jesus is grounded in history right here he descended from a particular people who really lived they're not fictional people. They're really people. It's not a made-up story. It really happened in time and in space. But the genealogy also served another purpose. It also functioned as some kind of a resume. A resume. It would tell you who a person is and where they came from. It established your heritage, your inheritance, your legitimacy, and also it communicated your rights, who you were. It would establish your legal claim to certain rights and properties that had been passed down through generations before you. So in this genealogy, Matthew traces Jesus' bloodline to two specific people. And you get that in verse 1, right? And what's interesting is that these promises were made to both of them. What Matthew is doing here is he's showing that Jesus is the legitimate heir and fulfillment of the promises made to these two particular people. Promises that look like they had been lost forever. Not only does Jesus include them in his genealogy, but he underlines them in verse 1 so that we don't miss it. It is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of... Thank you, Sue, for listening. It's the book of, geneal of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So what does it mean that Jesus is the son of David? David was the greatest king of all history. And God promised to David this, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Your throne will be established forever. God told David that his descendants would reign forever. That seems like absolute madness because at the time, Israel had no king. Herod was a, the king when Matthew wrote this, but he, he wasn't the type of king from the line and lineage of David. And he sure didn't like the thought of anyone else being the king. Herod was a selfish kind of man. And you sure wouldn't be going around bragging about being a part of that royal family. 
But that's what David does here. He says that Jesus is the son of David. And that's a claim to royalty. Matthew is saying that Jesus is qualified to be the king promised to David. The king whose throne is established forever and ever and ever. Amen. But there's more. Not only is he the promised king from the, the line of David, he is also the son of Abraham. God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because of who? Abraham. And here, Matthew is saying that Jesus is qualified. Jesus is qualified to be the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham. All the promises to Abraham. Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise to be the blessing to the whole earth. In Jesus, He is the blessing that we have been waiting for. Matthew is making sure that Jesus' resume clearly states that he is qualified to be both the promised king and the one who will bless the entire earth. And Matthew is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of 2,000 years of all of God's promises. All the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, he said this, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter amen to our God for His glory. And you thought that this was a boring genealogy? It's nothing of the sort. it's already told us about the birth of Jesus and it is a brand new beginning and it is the absolute fulfillment of all of God's promises. But there's more. It's not just stopping there. Thirdly, we see that the birth of Jesus includes all of us. The truth about your family line And my family line is that it includes some shady characters. And you shared your Thanksgiving table with some of those shady characters. Some people you go, "Mm, there's a little bit of notoriousness about this person. Or I know from where you came from. I, I know that there's a story to you. You might not show it here, but I know that you have a story. Matthew goes out of his way to include shady characters in this list. On one hand, you have kings on this list. Royal, regal. And that's pretty cool to say, man, I come from a line of kings. Matthew is saying that the story of Jesus includes those who have power and prestige and position. 
He comes from a long line of regalness. But Matthew also gives the other side as well. It's clear in this reading that the list that Matthew has, has given, some, has, he's being quite selective in terms of the people that he includes. He leaves some in and he leaves others out as well. So it's striking about the people that he includes in this list. It could have been some he could have left people out of this list, but he intentionally chooses certain people to be on this genealogy list. Why? Why would he do this? Well, here's the reality. Most ancient genealogies did not include women unless they were famous and, and great women. But Matthew lists four women who are prominent and anything but great. You see first in verse 3, Tamar. Tamar is remembered. And so it is, the people were listening to this, these first 17 verses, they're listening to this story. And all of a sudden, verse 3 comes along and all of a sudden they go, Tamar? You, you've listed Tamar? Really? Because Tamar would have been remembered as the woman who concealed herself as a prostitute in order to trick Judah, her father-in-law, to sleep with and impregnate for the purpose of preserving the family line of her dead husband. Shady stuff. So they, Matthew chose to include Tamar. So the people's hearts would have kind of been beating, go, it's got to get better from here. And all of a sudden they find themselves in verse 5, all of a sudden the name Rahab is mentioned, and they're going, whoa, Tamar, and now you're going to mention Rahab? Rahab, you know, was kind of known for being courageous. She, she was the one that hid the Israelite spies who were deciding to do this campaign to take over all of Canaan. But what was the line, her line of work? She was a, a prostitute. Okay, you got this side of really great kings and regal. And now you're starting to listen, listen, list Tamar and, and Rahab. Really? You're, you're going to list these people? And she's not even an Israelite? But also in verse 5, you see this. He mentions Ruth. Ruth was another foreigner outside of the house of Israel. She was a Moabite. And for you, you're going, a Moabite? Is that a type of a bug? What is a Moabite? Well, here's the reality. In Deuteronomy 23, it talked about Moabites. A certain people. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Forever. She was a descendant of the incestuous person named Lot. So now you've got this other story. She's in this family line. And then verse 6, if it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. We, we listed David and we're feeling pretty good because he was one of the greatest, the greatest kings of, of all of Israel's history. 
But then they list Bathsheba. She was a woman involved in David's scandalous affair and cover-up. And not only that, she was married to Uriah the Hittite. Man, what is Matthew doing here? In this list, you have a list of great people, big names, but you also have people with a past. You have men and women, adulterers and prostitutes, heroes and Gentiles. And Jesus is the Savior of them all. Right from the start, Matthew is telling us that Jesus is immersed in the gritty and steamy side of fallen humanity. No matter who you are, people like you are already a part of Jesus' story. Right from the start, God chooses the most sinful, broken, and unlikely people, people like you and people like me, to be a part of his his family. Michael Wilkins in his commentary on Matthew says this, Indeed, by including these unexpected names in the messianic genealogy, Matthew shows that God can use anyone. However marginalized or despised, to bring about his purposes. Jesus' ancestry shows us that God chooses a servant from a wide spectrum of those from whom the respectably orthodox would probably turn away in horror. The respectable church person would go, we want nothing to do with the prostitute. We want nothing with this incestuous lot of people. We want nothing with people who have a past and a background. They're too messy. They're too dirty. We would like our church to be filled with really nice, clean and pretty people, right? We want people where there's no background. They're really lily white and they're really neat to work with. That's none of you. That doesn't include me. We all have a story. We all have a mess. And part of the gospel story is God is reaching back and saying, look at this messy people, and I have chosen them to even bring out my son, Jesus Christ. Will the church respond in any way by saying, huh, maybe it's time for us to take off our white gloves and to get immersed into a culture in a time where people's lives are absolutely messy and dirty, knowing that God chooses to work through messy things to bring about great glory, right? That's how God seems to work. 500 years ago, 500 years ago, Martin Luther uh, preached a sermon, and he said this. He'll throw it up there for me, Nathan. Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. Thank God, right? In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Now, if the Lord does that here, so ought we to despise no one, but put ourselves right in the middle of the fight for sinners and help them. Now, you want to talk about what is our mission? Your mission as believers in Christ is to get right in the middle of fight, with not to fight like duke it out, but get in the middle 
of the messiness, the grittiness, the, the sloppiness of life and find yourselves saying, I want to show you where help can be found. And the help is not found in self-help books or great TV shows or great authors. Help is found in the Christ. Jesus Christ who came to earth. That's the good news. Jesus Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. He's not afraid of sinners. So the genealogy tells us that the birth of Jesus is a brand new beginning. It's a declaration. It's a shot across the bow to say, you have a new start. And then it moves on to say, not only do you have a new start, but the one who is starting it all, all the promises are found to be true in this person. But he also tells us, you have nothing to fear. It tells us that Jesus is not ashamed of sinners, and neither should you. So friends, don't let this genealogy stuff fool you. Don't think that it's boring, uh, a boring prelude to the, where the exciting stuff is going to be happening later on. This is the storytelling at its absolute best. It, it, it is the part from right from the beginning where, where Matthew wants you to understand that the birth of Jesus Christ is a brand new beginning. The, the, the slate has been made clean. New beginning. The birth of Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of all of God's promises. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. Look at what's done. All these promises were found with a yes and an amen to Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is good news for all kinds of people. All kinds. People like you and me. In the world that is outside these four walls, who is in dire need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news not only for us, it is great news for them. Great news. So I want to give you two potential responses that I think apply to every one of us. To how do we respond to these? these things, this, this genealogy. Here's the first one. Be amazed. Really. Be amazed. It's amazing to think that God would give us a fresh start. You're a person that has history. Whether you believe it or not, you have history and you need a fresh start and God is willing to give it to you it's amazing that he would begin to do all the wrong that is in the world it's amazing that he would choose to do this by sending a baby by sending his own son to be born in Bethlehem it's amazing that he would choose to fulfill all the promises that he made through Jesus Christ, there is not one pro prophecy or promise that has not been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's amazing they would do that. And it's amazing that he would include messed up people in all of this. It's amazing because we would screw it up. Yet that's what he has chosen to do. So how, how do we respond we're in awe. We are just amazed. 
I want you to kind of walk out this morning with a buzz. A gospel buzz saying, I don't believe that God chose to do it this way. I don't believe that He has chosen me to be a part of this. I mess up stuff all the time, but He has chosen me and all my stuff to incorporate me into this story. I've got this gospel buzz. I can't believe it. And on top of that, it should lead to worship. I don't know if you have ever been to like a Brian Adams kind of concert, or I remember in high school, I just had a birthday party, a 50th birthday party, and we were listening to 80s music. There's nothing like 80s rock. I'm going to just tell you that right now. But there was something where all of a sudden the songs would come on, and we would just sing it at the top of our lungs, right? Even the most timid and quiet and humble person at that birthday party was singing. Shout through the heart! And all of a sudden you're going, who are you? But yet... There was no shame. There was a loss of abandonment because we are caught up in a story, right? And should not the same thing happen even more so, even more so here? We are caught up in worship. It's not my favorite song. It's about Jesus. Sing it. It's not a catchy tune. Sing it. It's about Jesus, be amazed about this story that he is writing in you, that he is incorporated. Be amazed. We should be the kind of people that sing like there is nothing else to sing about. We are caught up in awe about this. So marvel again that God would choose to do something this absolutely amazing. Secondly, a second response. Join the story. I hope that I hope that many of you have already put your faith in Christ. That you you've for the first time you you can look back and say, I remember that moment moment when God grabbed me. And I had no idea where it came from. And it was nothing that I was doing that earned his, his choosing me. He chose me. He took me out of the miry clay. He put my feet on solid ground where nothing could wash me away. And I stood there. And now with a new name, he calls me child. He calls me son. He calls me daughter. I am his own. I've been adopted. I've been engrafted. And, and hopefully you don't, remember, don't forget about that. But you are constantly remembering this, right? You're telling this story of what God has done in you. And so you, I want you to continue joining that story in every moment of your life. Join it again and again. Each morning you wake up and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for including me in this story today and I have no idea where it's going. But I'm trusting you. Because according to this genealogy, you have been working for generations and generations and it's found its, its, its completion and it's yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And somehow you've incorporated in it, me into it, so I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing today. And so God, I'm going to go out with boldness. 
I'm going to go out trusting you that you are sovereign and in control of my life and the lives around me. And so, Lord, there is no failing for me today. It might not be perfect, but all these things, my steps are so ordered by you. So I pray that you've had that fresh start through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And I, I pray that you've really seen all of God's promises reach their fulfillment in Christ. And I pray that you, you'll realize that this story includes you. No matter how unlikely of a person you might be. Matthew uh, Woodley, in his commentary on this passage, he writes this, and this is how I'm going to end. One day, in a hole in the Milky Way called Planet Earth, among an odd group of people, Jesus the Messiah came to his people. It's a true story that reads like fiction. What adventures, dangers, and delights will Jesus encounter? And if we follow him, what adventures shall befall us? Where will this gospel of mercy lead us? Hold on, he says, for we're in for a tale and the adventure of our life. Friends, find yourself in this story because it's your story. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, you, in your sovereignty, in your care for us, in your uh, eternal wisdom, you have so orchestrated the most beautiful score of gospel music possible. And we can even see it working out in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, through a genealogy of, of a God who is, through the birth of Christ, through the genealogy of Christ, we see your redemptive hand. We see your regalness. We see how all these promises are, are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We see how you have pulled all these things together, which include us. And this is now part of our story. Father, I pray that this church, these people, will so identify themselves in much greater ways with this Christ, this Jesus, that it will so embolden them during this Advent season as we anticipate your first coming, but also even more so your second coming? Would it give us just a, a fevered desire to share this good news about you God, help us protect our minds about perfectly cut down Christmas trees 
and great deals on presents. Help us to not get caught up in family traditions that eclipse you. Help us as a community to make more of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. This we pray in Jesus' name.